This is the Bike Snob of New York City, and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM 104.4. Welcome to The Bike Show here on Resonance 104.4 FM. And in the first of the new season's rolling interviews, it's a great pleasure to welcome to the show Jenny Jones, member of the London Assembly, and the woman who would like you to say no to the Boris and Ken show and elect her as Mayor of London next May. Welcome to the Bike Show, Jenny. Thank you. That would certainly change things, wouldn't it? A woman mayor. I think that would make a lot of difference. Well, we're going to hear more about your vision for London, um, both as mayor and as what you're already doing and what you have been doing, first as a councillor and as a member of the London Assembly, on a ride from where you live in, um, I guess it would be downtown Woolworth, Peckham Borders, up to City Hall, where where you um, are working. And um, I should say, first of all, that we're just a few minutes after sunrise. Um, it's, a, it's very early in the morning. Um, you often see uh, the current mayor on his bicycle, but I bet you don't see him on his bicycle at six in the morning. I know, I'm sorry about this. It's just, it's good to get a start to the day and be fresh at work. It's a happy got a great view of the Shard um, in the north, cycling east through Burgess Park, and the first rays of the new day have greeted us, and Jenny's very wisely wearing a pair of gloves, which I'm not. And a woolen scarf, of course. Now, this is, um, this is a great route when there's lots of traffic, because I don't have to cross the Old Kent Road, and it's great to come through the park anyway and just see what's happening to it. In fact, it's going to be closed for 11 months soon, so I'm making the most of it at the moment. What are they going to be doing here? Well, Boris Johnson has chopped down 500 mature and semi-mature trees and plans to put in, I hope, a lot more. But uh, it's a bit depressing. There's some changes that local people don't like. And what's it all in aid of? Basically to um, make the park a more beautiful place generally. I think a lot of people look at this and they see scrub and... Um, an untidy park but I look at this and I see lots of habitat for wildlife and some lovely spaces for people but also some good spaces for animals and there's of course the BMX track um, a little bit uh, where, is it, where is it, is it over in there? Or? I think it's yeah. over there will that be preserved? I think uh, something's happening there I'm afraid I'm not up to date on the latest on the yeah. latest vision for here well let's hope they preserve the BMX track at least and plant it full of trees we can see some elderflower coming through. Now, I really like making elderflower champagne and elderflower cordial. It's absolutely fantastic. So this year, for example, there's no big election here in London. I'll have time to do that. You can spend your May foraging rather than campaigning. Exactly, yes, yes. This is the path of the old canal, um, which went round the corner. You can see it's still very shallow here. It's great space for walking and cycling. So they've filled it in, have they? And filled it with, with uh, or is it, did it fill itself in with silt? They, it, it was filled in uh, many years ago. It's a shame, but it does create some, some great walking space. And I, that's one of the things I very much hope to see in our manifesto, a reallocation of road space to people who walk and who cycle. Because London, if you give it over to cars and traffic, motorised traffic, is a much less pleasant place to live. Well, we've skirted around one of the buildings that 
is, I suppose, slightly emblematic of giving over the city to cars. The Haygate estate, uh, the last remaining people are still holding it out there, but basically it's a bit of a ghost town now. And that estate um, is a sort of warren of overhead walkways, the idea being to take people away from the street scene, take people away from danger so children could walk in the air along um, elevated walkways rather than where they might get hit by cars. Things have changed, haven't they? Well, it's true that if you take all the people and cyclists off the road, then you don't have, any, you don't have as many road casualties. And road casualties cost us a huge amount of money. Government figures say that they cost 1.8 million each death. Now, that's ridiculous, the burden on the state. So keep, keeping people safe on the road is good economics, let alone um, good for, for saving people a lot of grief and tragedy. But if you take people away from the road space, you actually reduce their pleasure in, in life. And so what we have to do is be better at mixing. Better at mixing. Would that suggest that you're one of these vehicular cyclists that likes to see cyclists mixing it with uh, other types of motorised vehicle? Or are you a segregationist that would like to see Dutch-style bike lanes up and down the city's roads. I mean, that's a big debate within, within the cycling world. And I think those two are probably slightly polarised views that don't really represent where ma the majority of people are. But it is still a debate. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think it's very important to put segregation in where you possibly can. But on our road system, some of which is Victorian, some of which is Roman still, sometimes there just isn't the space. And so what you have to do is be flexible and you put the appropriate conditions in for the, for the appropriate road. But having said all that, there's, there's a lot to be done about encouraging all drivers of buses, of cabs, of cars, of lorries, to actually understand that cycling is going to be on the increase. So a real dialogue has to get started between cyclists and pedestrians and all mo motorised drivers to make sure that everybody's safe. Do you think TfL gets that message? There's been a lot of talk on the blogs lately, sparked off, I think, by the new plans for Blackfriars Bridge, that TfL is really obsessed or or, or preoccupied by something called network assurance? I think it just means keeping the roads open and, and the traffic flowing. Network assurance is very good for anybody who uses public transport because it means that they can get around and they can be sure about how long their journey will take, more or less. However, I'm not sure that it, it, it's right that Transport for London worries about that because that's their job, putting on public transport for everybody here. But I think that this mayor, Boris Johnson, has actually made a big decision in uh, emphasising traffic flow and that means you're basically speeding up the traffic. Now, that is bad for walkers and cyclists because if you speed up the traffic, you make the roads more difficult to cross and more difficult to negotiate. That's been a big mistake. And although he's a cyclist, he just doesn't get that because he doesn't have any fear on the road and he can't understand anybody who might. Do you think that TfL subscribes to the, the hackneyed critical mass rallying call that we are traffic? Or do you think it sees cyclists and pedestrians as something that get in the way of traffic? I think at the moment it's the latter. They see something, you know, they don't understand that pedestrians can actually be far more numerous than the cars going through. And actually you should cater for the most number of people. So if you have 20 pedestrians waiting at a stop sign and you have 10 cars going through with single drivers, and obviously you should care about the pedestrians. So on the Blackfriars Bridge uh, proposals, you've been among those many uh, uh, members of the Assembly who have raised concerns. It's 
do you think they'll back down? Or what's going to happen with this new scheme that's actually taking away space from cyclists and giving it to uh, motorised vehicles? Well, that's exactly right. The southbound bike lane is going. Now, this is a mayor who talks all the time about encouraging cycling, yet he's taking out bike lanes just as he took out the trees in my park. The, the thing about Blackfriars Bridge is that it's a bad scheme for, for the only people who benefit are motorised vehicles, and yet at peak hours, it's mostly cyclists going across that bridge. Now, to me, that's barking mad, and that's not understanding the dynamics of what's happening in London. So, GFL absolutely has to back down. I've threatened to lie in the road in front of, you know, until they, they say that they will keep that bike lane. Nobody's actually... Um, said yet uh, oh Jenny uh, yeah, <laughs> could you just come and, and lie down here but I will as soon as I think that they are starting on that because it's a mad scheme as it is well we're still in the stage of negotiation that's good to hear it's not come to direct action yet but TfL be warned that would certainly get the headlines wouldn't it I don't know. Launch your mayoral campaign. <laughs> Going down in the road. I don't know, does it sound a bit um, Emmeline Pankhurst? I, I'd be very flattered if anybody... I think if you thought... do it in sufficient numbers, <laughs> you'll be all right. That would be... Gr yes, absolutely. Or perhaps some cyclists will help me. Yeah. Is the Green Party like the other parties in the sense that it didn't used to be? Because there was, there was that time when they said, well, we don't have a leader, we're sort of a different type of political party. But now you've got the first MP, Caroline Lucas, who is there on the website, her face smiling out. She is the leader of the party. She is the Green Party's voice. Is that a maturing of the Green Party away from this kind of maybe slightly idealistic Paris Commune idea of a leaderless movement? I'm afraid I was very much against having a leader. I like the leader. It's, it's not it's being leaderless, but having leadership from lots of different places. I saw us like a bunch of geese who are flying, and you have a, the, you know, the, the geese in front take a lot of pressure, and then they drop back, and other geese take their place. That's how I saw the Green Party. I'm not sure if it's growing up, but it certainly makes us more electable. And I think that generally people understand the Green Party now is... Um, moving into being one of the bigger players in the political world. How many members do you have in London, members of the Green Party? Is it like a normal party that you could just join and pay your, you know, 50 quid a year to become a member of? Yeah, absolutely. If people want to join, I'd be thrilled. We need your money because uh, most of the, the vast majority of our funding is only through our members. You know, we don't have big business supporting us. We don't have uh, big donors like, like the other political parties. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone can join and I think we have about... 1,500 to 2,000 members, which is, t we are a tiny party. And are there places in the country where the Green Party has been in power, where, where you can be judged on your record rather than just the things that you might put in a manifesto or on a leaflet or things you might say that you'll do in the knowledge that it'll never really happen? I think there's been a lot of growing up happening with the Liberal Democrats being in the national government and saying a lot of things to get elected and now in coalition finding that they're going to have to do the complete opposite and people are wising up to 
a kind of party that is able to say what it likes without the danger of actually ever having to be in a position of power. There are places where we've had a big impact because we've been um, able to influence the budget. I mean, even on the Assembly with Ken Livingston, he needed our votes in his second term. And so we were able to influence his... Um, well, the, the way he looked at London, we were, were, were able to green it. And for example, we did promote the pedestrian and the cyclist, and TfL did start taking road schemes, different, doing them differently, because we were there and saying, you've got to talk to these groups, you have to listen to these experts. So, greens have been tested. Um, it's, it, it is very difficult when you do have any position of power that Compromise is absolutely inevitable, I'm afraid. But it's just hoping that you don't compromise your principles, you only compromise some of the plans a little bit. way um, when the roads are busy is because there's a traffic light across the old Kemp Road and it's just that little bit safer than the usual route I take which means I have to merge and weave with some a lot of lanes of traffic at the Bricklayer's Arms. Yeah the Bricklayer's Arms is not a friendly place no. to be on a bicycle though Southwark cyclists have got a plan that they've been hatching over a number of years to transform that space. Um, I was talking to Barry Mason He's the coordinator of Southwark Cyclists a little while ago about that, and uh, that's something that really is a bit overdue, isn't it? It's, it's, it, it's, not, it, it's not pretty and it's not particularly useful. No, it's quite frightening, actually, and uh, uh, it's where I got knocked off my bike by a cyclist going through a red light. So that's why I get very angry when cyclists go through red lights. I do shout at them and, uh, and try to explain that it's not only their lives, it's other people's lives as well. Well, my view on that is that you should always make sure you know that no one else is coming if you go through a red light. How do you know that? You use your eyes. You use your eyes. You don't see people. Well, you just don't then you don't go them. through the red light. Well, well, I, you'll be one I'm shouting at then if I if I see it. Uh, my view on red, red red light jumping is that anyone who gets a fine for doing so deserves their fine because they clearly weren't looking hard enough to make themselves safe if they didn't see the policeman who got them. Well, when I was knocked off, I damaged a £400 pair of glasses, which obviously um, was very annoying. But I also got a huge black eye and scrapes all over my face. And for a politician, that's actually not a very good thing because you do have to go on TV and um, it uh, looked quite nasty. I went on Newsnight talking about the police with about an inch of, of pancake makeup on so that nobody could see my black iron uh, as if I was some sort of abused. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not condoning wanton breaking of the law, but sometimes, sometimes it's actually a little bit scary to wait at a red light and you just want to get away from that junction if, you, if, you're, behind, if you're in front of a um, heavy goods vehicle or something like that. You just want to get out of there. And if you, if you either hop off your bike and go round or just get away a little sooner if you can, then there's, sometimes I think, think you're actually making yourself safer. There's a better option, and that is that all traffic lights have a cyclist goes first. I mean, even if it's only three or five seconds, if cyclists went first, if they had a green light first, and then all motorised traffic had it a few seconds later, that would make a big difference. Advanced stop lines ought to do it, but so many vehicles don't respect that. It's infuriating. Why do you think that is? 
I don't know. When I was waiting for you this morning, I saw a lorry just, just park, just move all the way into an advanced stop line. And it just seems to me that sometimes perhaps they don't know what they're for. Do you think that that kind of behaviour, parking in bicycle lanes, uh, idling in advanced stop lines, is almost slightly humiliating to cyclists? And, and, and it makes them think, well, what is, the, what is the point of all this paint on the road if it's going to be flouted so obviously by other road users and the police are going to do nothing about it. Well, I have been arguing for the past 11 years on the police authority that the police really ought to police the roads more. And in fact, the temptation has been always for the Met is to cut the traffic police, who do a fantastic job. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have fought and I hope that I've managed to keep most of their funding. It's a bit of a cultural thing, I think, in some ways, because if you go to a city like Berlin, in my experience, I haven't been in the Dutch cities or many other German cities, but you definitely get the sense that people don't you know, flout the rules um, in, re in relation to cyclists, that they look out for them at junctions, that they don't occupy spaces that are provided for them. Why are we different in the UK? Why are motor vehicle drivers convinced of the fact that they own the roads? I don't know. I think we are generally law-abiding people, but there's two factors here in London. The first is that in the 1960s, the car was king. I think we're still in that mindset a little bit, that cars actually, because they're bigger, deserve more road space. And I think the second thing is we lead such pressured lives that everybody just thinks that their time is more important than the next person's, and I think those two things are disastrous. <laughs> Well, we've been chatting here in the... Uh, you're getting a hoot there, is that? I know, no, that's someone, that's someone else. I thought that was one of your fans. I'm a, in a big blue van, probably not. Oh, Jenny, hope springs eternal. You know, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. It could <laughs> no, be full of green party leaflets. It could be, yeah. I like everybody else. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like everybody else. I think we both agree that cycling in London is not only a good way of getting around, but it's very pleasurable. And our ride this morning has shown that, going through some of the back streets and, and through the parks. But there is this cloud hanging over London cyclists at the minute, which is the regularity with which cyclists are being killed by lorries and heavy goods vehicles. What should be done about this? I think there's several things that we've got to do. I mean, TfL at the moment is putting most of the onus onto cyclists and saying that cyclists have got to look out, and of course we do have to. But if you are a sort of a vulnerable human being faced with a few tonnes of lorry, then I think the person driving the lorry is the person who should take the most care. So uh, one of the things that has to happen is all lorries have got to have enough mirrors in the right places so that they can see all around their vehicle. And secondly, I think all lorry... Well, all, all commercial drivers, all professional drivers should actually take some cycling courses so that they can start to understand what it's like to be on a bike when you're faced with huge vehicles, fast-moving vehicles. 
And I think, thirdly, the police have got a role here because they absolutely have to take it seriously. At the moment, it's sometimes quite difficult for a cyclist to be... You know, to, 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 uh, to actually get a crime number from the police for them to take the crime seriously. And so I think those three things have to happen and have to happen fast. The Mayor of London has a role in all of those, and I think he's failing at the moment. So would you say that the Mayor should ban vehicles that don't meet those high standards that you talk about? Does, is that within the Mayor's power to do? Well, the the Met Police Traffic Unit certainly do have um, a small unit within themselves and they look at lorries and they have the option. I mean, virtually all the lorries they stop, I guess they've got a good eye for this, or virtually all the lorries they stop fail their test in some way or another. So there's a lot of scope here for the Met Police to get involved and actually take all these dangerous lorries off our roads. It does seem to be at the moment that tipper trucks appear to be the biggest problem of all for cycling safety. Um, But then there is the other factor, that road danger is an issue, and I think that road danger has to be reduced so that more people cycle and feel that they can cycle safely. At the moment, a lot of women say to me they don't cycle because it's not safe, and I want to change that view of London's roads. How do you reduce road danger? You simply traffic calm. You make sure that the traffic is going at a speed that's appropriate for the space and the people using that space. And that sounds very simple, and it is simple. Transport for London's done it in in many places over London, but they have to do it for some of the bigger, faster roads as well because cyclists are often offered roads that are you know, longer and more peaceful, I personally always just take the straightest possible route because I want to get where I'm going as fast as I possibly can. I'm sure a lot of cyclists do the same. So you've got to make the big roads safe as well. And traffic calming doesn't... It may mean you're slowing the traffic, but overall the length of journey might be the same because you're making sure the traffic flow is better. That sounds a little bit like the mayor, but this is a completely different way of looking at traffic flow. So does that mean that you endorse the cycle superhighways? I mean, clearly you've got a problem with the colour, they're blue, and we've got traditional cycle lanes that are green, which are more pleasing, presumably, to your uh, political party. But colours aside, is that the right kind of thing to be doing? Is it effective? Is it a good use of money? When I was advising Ken Livingstone on sustainable transport in London during his second term, I helped commission a report through TfL, and it said there were three things you absolutely had to do to support cycling in London. The first was the bike hire. The second was the cycling superhighways. I mean, I might have done them a bit differently, but basically I think they're a good idea, even though they're not quite working yet. And the third thing was to invest in the outer boroughs, because that's where you can get the most new cyclists. Because people out there often have to use their cars. They've got no option. There's not enough buses and tubes and trains. And so investing in the outer boroughs and making cycle, uh, cycling easier there was the third sort of key component of creating a proper cycling city. And this mayor hasn't done that, and I think it absolutely has to. And I think I'm very much hoping that's going to be in our manifesto because it's something I want to promote. OK, now we seem to be going the wrong way in a bicycle lane actually i'm so sorry okay, i usually just i usually just whiz around the roundabout but i thought oh it's a bike lane i ought to use it but i think it's in the wrong direction no well I, I i think it's going in the wrong direction which sort of speaks to its slightly confusing nature i mean if you look over here back where we've come we've got the bike lane that we are standing in going off to the left of some bollards which looks quite nice and protected actually this yeah. the cyclists are being protected by this pinch point and they're being taken down in a contraflow way down Rolls Road around the back of the Argos whereas coming the other way yeah. what they've done is they've just put 
bollards in the road to create a kind of chicane that supposedly is traffic calming, but actually all it does is forces everyone into a very small space. Why couldn't they have what they've got on the, this side on that side too? You see what I mean? Yeah. And in fact, um, a couple of vehicles overtook me and it was all too close because it's, it's such a constrained space for, you know, for a cyclist and a car. I mean, so much space is given over to, to car parking. And when I spoke to the mayor of Copenhagen, Klaus Bondam, or the former mayor of Copenhagen, who is one of the people who's pushed cycling in Copenhagen, it didn't happen of itself in Copenhagen. It was politicians that pushed it. Politicians like you, Klaus Bondam, said to me, the most important thing, which is also the most difficult thing, is to take away car parking space and give it to wide, protected bicycle lanes. That's absolutely right. And, and car drivers will feel that's totally unfair. But unfortunately, an increase in cycling is definitely the way forward for London because we can't increase the public transport structure anymore. There just isn't the capacity. The population is increasing. Those people have got to travel somehow. And either we do some radical changes to our planning system, which means that um, you know we keep local post offices, we keep local shops so that people can shop locally and perhaps not travel as much, or we allow people to walk and cycle more. And so cycling is the future, part of the future for London. We've got to encourage it. And part of that, a big part of it, as you're, you're right, is political will, because when you have political will, the funding flows in and it's possible to do it. We've just crossed over Tower Bridge Road from one part of Bermondsey to another. Very different scene from the large housing estates, which are some of the poorer parts of London into what is a rapidly gentrifying, if not already gentrified, Bermondsey Street. I think previous mayors and the current mayor, Ken and Boris, see gentrification as an essentially good and positive thing, whereas there are other people who raise a little bit of dissent saying, well, it's no good if people who are from these areas are getting priced out as, you know, people working in the city move in and all these new housing developments get made and I was we, we just mentioned earlier the Haygate estate which is going to be demolished and a lot of council properties removed and replaced with essentially yuppie flats for want of a better word. Where do you stand on, on the debate of gentrification and regeneration? It's absolutely inevitable as, as real estate becomes more and more expensive, but it's certainly not desirable in the sense that the minute you start driving lower-paid people out of the centre of town, you're actually driving away the people who keep the whole economy moving. You know, all the people who um, wait tables anywhere or clean hospitals or whatever. So you absolutely have to have some mixed housing. You have to have social housing. And it does look now as if the government and the mayor have pretty much given up on social housing. It's going to be more and more difficult to build social housing if we don't find another method of doing it. I think it's Journey's End, the forbidding underground car park of Moor, London. Notoriously cycling unfriendly developer, isn't it? 
Oh, it's awful. It's really drives me mad. And on the gate here, for example, it says all cyclists must dismount, which I absolutely refuse to do, as if we're a threat. And, uh, and of course, you're not allowed to cycle on the space. I agree that there's lots of pedestrians. And as a cyclist, the pedestrian should always take preeminence because they are, you know, they're slower than you and you have the option to steer around them, so you've got to take care. But I think more London takes it to new heights of intolerance. Well, I hope the slightly roundabout journey and the chat this morning has not delayed you from your regular morning workout. It has probably a little bit spared you from the treadmill or the rowing machine or whatever, the swimming pool, whatever it is that you off to do. Well, you're right. I'm meeting a friend in the gym at seven for, um, it's yoga actually, but it's a tough sort of yoga. You'll probably need um, all the workouts you can get getting ready for the campaign next May. So what are the next steps in the Jenny Jones campaign to be London Mayor for the Olympics next year in 2012? Well, I will be visiting all parts of London to listen to what people have got to say and also to present some of our ideas. So I hope that a lot of Londoners are going to see me and hear me and I hope they agree with a lot of what I say. I was riding there with Jenny Jones, who will be standing for mayor in 2012 and look forward to riding with other mayoral candidates um, as soon as their press officers get back to me. I would like to apologise for the really rather ratty quality of the audio in that interview. Something was wrong with my recorder on that ride. And I hope that normal service will be resumed. I'm sorry to Jenny and, of course, to you listening at home with all that hiss on the line. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the ride. Until next week, goodbye.